I encourage you to turn with me once again this morning to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 3. Uh, as we continue our study of this book, for those of you who are visiting, we have been uh, walking through the Gospel of Mark verse by verse, chapter by chapter, section by section, and today find ourselves in the latter half of chapter 3. As you're turning there, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on the back table, or you can follow along in your inserts. Uh, I'm just going to sing a little song to you. Uh, well, not really, but uh, maybe a little one line. Uh, how many of you remember, what would you do, baby, without us? Sha-la-la-la. Anyone remember that? A little blast from the 80s? Family Ties. That's the theme song to Family Ties. Michael J. Fox, you know, the Keaton family, what a great family they were. Uh, even back, uh, that was, of course, my childhood back in the 80s. Even now, today, we've got, I don't know any of the current sitcoms, uh, but I know that we do have some family sitcoms that aren't quite as, uh, what's the word? Uh, I, I'm not going to even say, I don't know what the word is. Uh, but today, I want to talk about family. I want to talk about family ties. I want to ask you what the word family in your experience and in your story, what kind of images, what kind of memories does that bring up? For me, there's a host of memories as uh, growing up in a, in a Hitchcock home. Uh, there was the, the summer trips to uh, Spruce Lake Retreat in our pop-up tent trailer. Um, there was the time I knocked my sister's tooth out. There was the time she burned me on a grill. Um, lots of great memories <laughs> and stories when I think about family. Of course, now I have my own children. I have my own family and um, seeking to give them memories and family ties that are significant I know that in a broken world, many of us sit here and the word family doesn't bring fond memories. It brings hard memories, difficult memories. That's something to grieve over for sure, because that's not the way God designed it or intended it to be. He, he intended for family to be a wonderful thing. Families consist of those who know us well and yet still love us, right? Families consist of people that should be care cherished and cared for. In Jesus' day, family was even more central to their lives than it is for us here today. But as we come to our text in Matthew chapter 3, one wonders about whether Jesus thinks family is so wonderful. So let's listen and follow along as I read. If you would, again, stand for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 3. We're going to begin with verse 20 and 21 and then skip the passage we looked at last week and jump down to verse 31 through 35. 
Starting in verse 20, Mark chapter 3. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family, that is Jesus' family, heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. Verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the question that we have to ask ourselves is what in the world is going on here? Why is Jesus seemingly dissing his own family? Well, I think there's one point. One point that I want us to see this morning. One truth that I want to meditate on. It's a truth that impacts our life together in dramatic ways, and it's simply this. Following Jesus creates new family ties. Following Jesus creates new family ties. As we saw last week, Jesus and his ministry is quickly gaining momentum and popularity, and he can't seem to shake the crowd that is pursuing him, that's hanging on his every word, well, more hanging on his deeds and his ability to heal them. In the midst of this buzz that's about town and and really all over this region, his family, at least his, his mother and his brothers, we don't know where Joseph, his earthly father, is at this point. At this point, I think we think that, uh, that he's dead by this point in his life, in Jesus' life. But his mother and his brothers, they hear about this madness that's going on with Jesus, and they, they try to get him out of this situation, Now, we don't know everything about Jesus' family, but we do know that Jesus had at least four half-brothers and two sisters. They're not mentioned here, but we do hear about them in a few chapters here in the book of Mark. Let me just stop right there. This is encouraging. That Jesus had a family. Jesus is not just hovering around, not dealing with any baggage, any story, any tension that might be affecting his life and his ministry. No, Jesus had a real family. And although he wasn't a sinner in that family, the family was filled with sinful dynamics that no doubt Jesus had to manage and had to handle all the while seeking to have deep love and compassion for them. And this fact is important too. John in his gospel in John chapter 7 verse 5 makes a point of telling us that Jesus' family, they flat out don't believe in him. 
And we see it in this passage. They don't understand his, his mission. They, they think he's loony. They think he's not just joined some weird cult or some weird sect at that time, but he's actually the guy that seems to be heading this thing up. That perhaps it was their love for their son and the brother. They were concerned about his safety. Perhaps the focus was on themselves and, and their own family reputation. We can't let crazy Jesus bring down the family name. You see, we don't know the intention of his family. We just know that they don't believe in him. They think he's crazy. And they're trying to get him out of this situation. But they can't get to him. The crowds are so thick. The crowds are so heavy that they, they can't get to him. And so they've got to send a message. And you can picture this scene with me. Some poor guy or gal ends up being the last one to get this message as it works its way through the crowd to the inner circle of Jesus. And they tell Jesus, your mother and your brothers are on the outside. They're looking for you. What would you expect Jesus' response to be? Thank you so much. Tell them I'll be there in just a few minutes. Or, or thank you. You all just have to excuse me. I need to go see what my mother needs. I need to go talk to my family for a moment. No. Instead, Jesus does something unexpected. He does something that he has done time and time again in his ministry. He makes an ordinary moment a teaching moment. He turns an interruption into instruction and he says, Who are my mother and my brothers? Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my mother and sister and brother. See, Jesus turns family allegiance on its head. And he declares that those who do the will of the Father, that they constitute his family. And that that family is more important even than the blood relatives that wait outside for him. Can you imagine the, the mouths hanging open, the rumbling in the back row? Did, did he just say that? I want to take us back to the context of these words, of this simple statement that Jesus says. I mean, this is an uncomfortable, radical notion for us, especially as we sit with our families and some of our extended families. But for the ancient Middle Eastern society, this was revolutionary. There's no simpler way to say it. All the, genealogy, all the genealogies listed in the Old Testament, all the family-related laws among God's people, family was so important in the life of God's people. In fact, one can look today to modern-day Eastern cultures and still see the significance, the importance, the preeminence of family ties. Now imagine as that answer that Jesus gives goes back through the crowd and some poor chap on the other end has to tell his mother and brothers what Jesus just dropped. What was their response? Well, we don't know. Shock, disbelief, hurt, 
Or maybe, maybe, it, maybe it solidified in their, in their minds that yes, he's gone off the deep end. Jesus is indeed crazy. You know, as I thought about what reactions Jesus' words would have produced, especially in light of the cultural situation in which he speaks, I think there would have been two main reactions. Yes, unbelief, disbelief. Because Jesus is swimming against the cultural tide of the day and saying such a thing. But I think also, I think also there was some joy that Jesus would say such a thing. Jesus, the Son of God, just called me his brother. Jesus just called me his sister. How incredible the condescension of the Lord. I mean, some of these people who are listening to him, not all, some are just curious, some are just wanting to be healed. But some of these people had already left everything. They had already left their families to follow him, and now they are being reminded that it was worth it all, that they are part of a greater family, that they are now part of Jesus' family. Oh, what a relief. What a joy. And even as these words hit you this morning, some of you are here and some of you are comforted by that fact because your faith has cost you dear family relationships. Your faith has strained family ties. Some of you have been thought of as crazy by your own family. And Jesus reminds you this morning that you have a new family, that you have new family ties, that God is your father, that Jesus is your elder brother, and that you have a host of brothers and sisters in him. Wow. But as we begin to think about the implications, and I don't want to begin to think about the implications of that for our lives, we have to ask, what was Jesus' attitude towards family? Like, let's not just leave that behind. What did Jesus think of family? I mean, is he severing? Is he cutting off his family at this point in his ministry? You know, there are plenty of cults out there that will do such a thing, that in the name of their beliefs, they'll encourage you to sever all family ties and connections. Is that what Jesus is advocating here? Absolutely not. And how do we know? We know big picture because family is God's design. Family is not some cultural invention. Family is God's design for us and for society. That's why the Psalms declare that children are a blessing. Paul declares that marriage is is a billboard for Christ and his church. Now, Jesus had a high regard, the highest regard for family. As he hung on the cross in John chapter 19, his concern, remember, it turned to his mother, to his mother Mary, and he calls the same concern to us. Paul exhorts the church in 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, 
and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. But here's the thing, though Jesus loved his family deeply, though he cared for them profoundly, his supreme allegiance was to the will of his heavenly Father and to those he came to call unto himself. And he knows you. He knows me. He knows our hearts, and he knows that our hearts are idle factories and that we can turn something that's good and wonderful and we can make it ultimate. And many in our society do that. We do that with our children. We make idols of them of their needs and their desires. One commentator called it domestic idolatry, the worship of family, making a family everything, every involvement, every commitment, every engagement measured and judged by the question, how will this benefit my family? Jesus speaks into that and he immediately shakes it all up. And this isn't the only controversial statement that Jesus makes about family. This is not a one-and-done thing for Jesus. Luke 14, 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Matthew 10, For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoa. But these are not examples of Jesus being insensitive or anti-family. What Jesus is getting across is the point that there is a commitment, there is a loyalty that trumps all others because following Jesus creates new family ties. And so the question that we ask in our families is not, How will this benefit just me and my family, but how will this benefit the kingdom of God, the family of God? How will this exalt God? See, Jesus' words are not just uniting us to him over and above our own families, but they are uniting us to one another as part of the family of God. As a covenant family, you hear me say that all the time, especially when we have baptisms, that we are a covenant family, a spiritual family, a spiritual family whose cause is greater than any other cause. Your experience is such that you know that if the cause is great enough, we can bond together for it. And we do it all the time. Whether it be a little league team, whether it be some club or professional society, those in the military will talk about their Navy family, their Marine family, united around a cause, they're willing to die for it and for each other. Certainly those things are noble. Those causes are noble. But Jesus reminds us there's no greater cause than the church, than the family of God. 
than doing his will alongside brothers and sisters of like mind and united heart. God is doing something big, and by grace, we are a part of it as the family of God. Not only is its cause greater, but its ties are eternal. And it is so much more satisfying. There's a depth of love and relationship with brothers and sisters in the body of Christ that we ought to have that ought to be unmatched by some of our biological ties. Weather, eh, Seahawks, whatever. Politics, yes. What about your heart? What about your fears? What about your stories? What about your struggles? What's going on there? That's what we need to know. So as we think about Jesus' words, as we think about applying them to our lives, I think the first question, obviously, that all of us need to ask is, are we part of God's family? Right? I mean, this is a call. This is a gospel call above and above and beyond everything else. There's no neutral ground. You're either part of God's family or you're not part of God's family. And if you're not part of God's family, you're God's enemy. So the first question everyone has to ask themselves is, am I part of God's family? Have I looked to Christ? Have I trusted in him? Am I clinging to him? But I know that most of you in this room, if not all of you, are part of God's family. By God's grace, you are sons and daughters and brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so as I challenge you to apply this passage, I ask these questions. Do you know your family? I'm not talking about your biological family. You know them. But do you know this family, the new family that Jesus has created and is creating? Do you know their wounds? Do you know their struggles? Do you know their stories? Do you, do you at some level, not everyone at the same level, but at some level, do you want to be intentional about entering into their lives? It's hard to do. We're imperfect. We're finicky. We're downright impossible to love sometimes. I'm downright impossible to love sometimes. But we're brothers and sisters into eternity. A lot to think about, even with those questions. And I know that for many of us, we don't even know the first step to take. And we recognize that. And we want to do better at equipping you to know one another and to enter into one another's stories. And so we're working to that end and praying to that end that we might equip each other to better love one another in that way. And this is not just about church attendance. It's not about 
community group attendance. It's about loving the Lord Jesus through loving his bride and recognizing the new family ties that have been created among us. I want to close with the story. Many of you have heard it before. It's a young It's the story of a young Christian woman in the third century. Perpetua was her name. During a period of persecution under the Roman Empire at age 22, her and her new her a new mother was arrested in northern Africa for her faith. And upon her arrest, her father, who was not a believer, gave her this passionate speech while she was in prison, begging for her to consider, reconsider her allegiance to Jesus. He says, daughter, have pity on my gray head. Have pity on me, your father. If I deserve to be called your father, if I have favored you above all your brothers, if I have raised you to reach this prime of your life, do not abandon me to the reproach of men. Think of your brothers. Think of your mother and your aunt. Think of your child who will not be able to live while you are gone. Give up your pride. You will destroy all of us. This 22-year-old Christian woman responded to her father by pointing to a water jug, and she said, see that pot lying there? Can you call it by any other name than by what it is? And he said, of course not. And she said, neither can I call myself by any other name by what I am. I am a Christian. Perpetua was mauled by a wild bull in the arena and then killed with a Roman sword. We'll never be forced to make this kind of a choice. But we make small choices every day, don't we? In those mundane moments, small choices about what we're going to invest in, about what family ties we deem important. Oh, body of Christ, may we be given grace to live as brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, uncles and aunts in the family of God. For following Jesus creates new family ties. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the message of the Lord Jesus and the challenge of these words given to us today. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us, that you would grow us, that we would seize opportunities to be equipped and to learn how to love one another, how to know each other well. For the glory of your name and the good of your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.